Christy here. This is an episode that we recorded back in April and shelved for a little while, but now we're bringing it back. So enjoy this blast to quarantine past and a time when we spent like 10 minutes chit-chatting before we started. Uh, So enjoy. It is unfathomable that there seems to be two systems of justice, one for the affluent and another for the downtrodden. A separation of justice for rich and for poor, male and female, white and black is a crime in and of itself. Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. It's old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. I think we should have what our what, what's our what's our ray of light right now? <laughs> because uh, it's 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 it can can be a little scary out there. So I think I want to I want to at least try. I'll try to be positive. You you two can do whatever the hell you want. Um, <laughs> Jackson and I made dinner together tonight. We did the one of the meal kit things, and I love doing that. I, uh, cooking together is is fun we, we've kind of gotten into a routine with it although we don't do it as nearly as much so that's one thing that the global pandemic has inspired is jackson and i making meals together again and it was really yummy Aww. too we had rockfish which i'd never had oh, yeah. before so well like no okay so i had to i had to start working from home which has been a challenge to say the least with toddlers um but like i've had like really sweet moments like max came down yesterday and he literally ate his lunch on my lap while i work because he just wanted to sit with me And so he he sat on my lap and ate his peanut butter and jelly sandwich like a serial killer and um, was just very quiet and cute. Have you ever seen a small child eat a sandwich just down the middle, like not cut, just eats it down the middle until the crusts are on his ears on either side? It is the most (laughs) bizarre thing I've ever seen in my entire life, but I'm glad I was there for it. (laughs) That's my ray of sunshine. Hamster. I'm glad that we have some rays of sunshine. Hamsters do that, Amber. You just got a, had a hamster. <laughs> Maybe. He's about the size of a hamster. There we go. <laughs> He's so itty-bitty. <laughs> oh. So uh, we don't know how he ate his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, this particular serial killer, um, because we don't know uh, who the hell he was. And we are talking about the Atlanta Ripper this week. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia, get the fuck on it, man. The Atlanta Ripper. Like, your article was, yep, that's a thing that happened. Sources. Well, I I really think it's <laughs> honestly, it's, it's probably sort of reflective of the same thing we saw happening back then with the media not really picking up on it because they didn't consider black crime to be worthy of their time. And, you know, it's probably similar with, with you know, whoever would be going to add that stuff to Wikipedia. You know, your average everyday editors, they're more interested in pretty white girls to get murdered and stuff like that. And it's it shows how, unfortunately, and this is kind of depressing, unfortunately, things haven't changed all that fucking much. Well, and here's the thing, too. Like, you said black on black crime, but we don't know that. Like, this easily we don't could know have for been sure. a white serial killer, but it was just because the victims were black that it kind of just got glossed over for a long time. Well, in the descriptions, he was black, but, or, you know, but we only had a the, couple of descriptions. The creepy guys that they encountered were, yes. Yes, but that's true. Stabbing in the 
back is not the same as yeah anyway <laughs> yeah yeah that's true i think i think we have some some similar points to make so um before we delve into the atlanta ripper a little bit about uh atlanta itself uh, i found this funny in 1843 it was actually named marthasville after the governor's <laughs> daughter martha lumpkin compton oh two- ouch lumpkin. i know lumpkin yeah lumpkin i think that was um I think that was her maiden name, and that was that was the, the governor's name was he was Governor Lumpkin, which just oh, sounds like a, something horrifying out of like a horror version of the Wizard of Oz. I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that whenever you take a poop on a girl's chest? No, Scott. Jesus, we're what five minutes in? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hold on, I'll Google it. No, <laughs> just in case. Uh, anyhow. So I shouldn't give you guys access to anything. Um, <laughs> okay, but my fun thing. All right, so. It was named Marthasville in 1843. They renamed it Atlanta in two years. <laughs> she didn't get to have... I mean, she got to have a city named after her for two years, which is nice. But then after that, it was like, nah, not so much. All right, time out. So I'm, I'm jumping in here with Lumpkin. All right, so Lumpkin could mean a clumsy or often stupid person, a blundering fool. Or if you go to Urban Dictionary... To give or receive a blowjob while taking a shit on the toilet. Fucking, and I am shaking my head. Fucking knew it. So, you were close. You were close. <laughs> so Atlanta became the state capital in 1868. And the thing about Atlanta is it's a little different than, or was a little different than what you might think being a, a southern, you know, pre-Civil War, post-Civil War town. Um, the economy didn't focus on plantations and the like, like so many other southern towns. It was really the railroad was big there, commerce and, you know, eventually manufacturing and everything. The textile industry was really big. So you didn't have slavery uh, being as much of an institution there up until, you know, like when the Civil War ended. So might have made for some ease of transitions, you know, from from one life to another. And in 1900, there was a 90,000 population and 35,000 of those were uh, African-Americans. So there were actually lots of, there was, it was a pretty, it's hard saying this because you look at some of the things people are, you know, like say during the, the course of these murders and you're like, that is not progressive at all. But for the time and place, it was fairly progressive. But there is still a lot of racial tension too. You have all this competition for jobs and whenever, you know, a, a, a black family would succeed and have a good business that goes well, and then they join the ranks of the upper class, you had that usual, you know, people trying to keep them out of the neighborhood. And I, I, there are some things about segregation I don't think I realized as I was reading this. Like, I didn't think about the fact that they separate cemeteries. Yeah. Like, yeah, they would. Even be, after you're dead. <laughs> yeah. You could not be buried in a white cemetery. Uh, you could not walk through white parks. You could not drink in white bars. You could not eat in white restaurants. And you could not drink from white water fountains. You could not breathe the white man's air. You couldn't look in the same general. Okay, that last one was a lie. Okay, but... No, you know what? No. I feel like they would have tried to enforce that. I do. I feel like it's only a slight, tiny exaggeration and barely one at that. You couldn't even... Um, if, you, if you had a black baseball team, they couldn't play within two blocks of a white baseball team. Now, I don't know if that's just while a white baseball team is playing or if a white baseball team is played anywhere here, you have to go two blocks away no matter what. In the history of man, if baseball has been played here and there was a white man there, you got a two-block radius now instituted. So 
Yeah, and then there was the, the 1906 uh, race riot in Atlanta. You had white mobs attacking uh, black men, women, and children in the streets. They killed dozens of people. They wounded even more. They were destroying uh, businesses, uh, black-owned businesses. Um, and uh, it was weird that this was all from a governor's race where the two governors were basically trying to out-racist each other. So <laughs> that was pretty horrifying. I want um, to I un- I hear those ads. I want to hear those ads. You know what? My, my opponent, John Velveeta, says that he hates black people. But here he is looking in the general direction of a black baseball team. It very much is. It's very close to that, actually, yes. Vote Steve Mozzarella, governor. He hates black people. (laughs) So, and they, there are also unsubstantiated newspaper stories of black men attacking white women. So that gets into the newspaper. But as we'll see, other things, it takes a while. This was four days of rioting. They had to bring the militia in. And you had anywhere between 24 and 40 um, black Americans killed. So by 1910, it was really a boom town. There were over a dozen major railroads and the population was over 150,000. So that's a pretty big growth. Everything's really kind of exploding. And now I wonder if you guys might disagree with where to start because I kind of went back and forth as I think one does with this particular case. I actually just fell into the gutter when you said um, very big and things exploding. I, I went right off the rails there. Um, of course i couldn't help it i was just like and i'm gone (laughs) well where to start please start yeah okay so where to start on this is actually very arguable i found it Um, really is so i i kind of want to start where it could have started um so arguably the first victim was della reed I don't know if, if you guys uh, found her on April 5th, 1909. Oh, yeah. I don't even have Della Reed. Go for it. Do it up. So she she was suspected to be the, the first victim. They found her on a pile of trash. Um, and later on that year, they found another body, September 7th. I didn't get a name for that one, unfortunately. And then um, the following year, 1910, they found an African-American woman, same demographic, the, the young like uh, late teens, early 20s kind of thing every month. So in March, we had Estella Baldwin, April Georgia Brown, and then Maddie Smith. Then I can't read my own writing. Uh, Lavinia Oatson, Sarah Dukes, Eliza Griggs, Maggie Brooks, and then um, Rosa Trice. And, and now a lot of these women had the same kind of thing with their head bashed in and their throat slashed. Yeah, the, the, that seemed to be uh, a pattern here that we'll see. You know, we all know serial killers have their, their modus operandi. They don't all stick to it all the time, as we've seen, well, like, for instance, with Peter Curtin. But it definitely is a thing that they, they have certain things that they like to do. And then they don't really, um, they don't always deviate from it very easily. They're not, they're not flexible. <laughs> and you guys should know, I'm, I made a map. Of course I did. Of course, <laughs> of course did. I did. Rosa Trice, she lived on Gardner Street and she was found very close to her home near the Gardner Street rail crossing 
And as you said, Amber had the, the throat slit almost ear to ear, and she was also stabbed in the jaw. So that's a slight differentiation from some of the stuff we're going to see. But there's a, a brief, very brief newspaper article about this one. So, you know, there is something in the newspaper, at least, but it's, it says basically that her stepson was the last person seen with her or known to be with her. He was arrested, uh, but he was released after a coroner's inquest, which again, that's spoiler alert, that's another pattern we're going to see too. So so in February, we found another body. And then in May, we had a weird one that I don't think belongs here. And you guys can argue with this if you want. Uh, a woman, Rosa Rivers, was in the neighborhood and she was walking with her sister and a friend and a man walked up to them in the public and just shot and killed her. And for some reason that somebody's trying to lump that in with all this. It does like the MO doesn't match aside from the fact that she was a young African-American woman. She wasn't alone. It wasn't a Saturday. Like it doesn't match the rest of the stuff. So I don't think that one's related. You guys can argue with me if you want on that. No, 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 I really, I don't at all. Any type of violence whatsoever towards a black woman almost seems to be lumped into this. There was an excellent research paper, unpublished, but it was on that. It's on homicideresearch.com. Uh, so you can find it in the show notes, the link to the PDF. But there is an excellent paper there that actually it starts off listing all the sort of commonly associated with the Atlanta Ripper uh, cases, gives a table of them, and even tells you whether this information comes from death certificates or any of the three uh, newspapers going at the time, and then starts to weed them out uh, and, and eliminate victims from the list based on, you know, modus operandi, if they didn't meet that, and then also getting a little stricter with, you know, if anybody was tried and convicted for it, and then getting even stricter if anybody was just arrested for it. Tried and convicted, I can say, okay, but I draw the line at arrested, but that they just want to, you know, they were basically pretty clear about the fact that they're being fairly strict with their uh, methodology of removing victims from the list. But they ended up culling a list of 19 uh, in the end, down to just eight. Oh, really? Maggie Brooks, we already talked about, and Rosa Trice, they're both on the list. And I feel like we're coming up on uh, Bell Walker. Mm-hmm. That was the next one on my list. You want to go for it? Oh, sure. Um, so let me see. Uh, Belle Walker was May 28th, 1911. She was a cook and she was walking home from work. Uh, she never made it home and they found her about 25 yards from her house on Garibaldi Street. She was so close. <laughs> so close. And her sister found the body too, which is just... Yeah, her a, sister's that... the one that went looking. That messes you up for life. Now, this one did make the news on page seven. Two paragraphs, four paragraphs? Two paragraphs, and I would like to point out some of the other headlines on that page. Above it, because it was also two paragraphs at the very, very bottom, Republicans carry Portugal election. Uh, there were four paragraphs about hot weather in the Midwest and flooding in China. There was an article about a train wreck in Detroit with injuries to two train men and some passengers, but no serious injuries. So a couple of people maybe got a scratch. And yet you have a woman brutally, brutally murdered in the city that this newspaper is in. But because of the color of her skin, she's barely merits a mention. It's very representative of the times. And it's also part of what you know made this such a hard crime to ever solve because nobody would pay attention. The thing that surprised me was that most of the information I got about the victims, I didn't get from newspapers. I didn't get it from the journalism crowd. I actually found it from a lot of the local churches in the area. 
the, the churches were very upset. They made lists of the people and how they died. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the journalists who gave a damn. It was the churches. It was, it was the local community. And it was kind of disheartening. I like, normally, whenever I'm like researching a case, I find out, like, I can find out, like, the person's favorite food and what color their dress was. This is barely a mention. Belle Walker, found by her sister, throat cut, failed to return home. She was a cook. Done. Like, honestly, we're lucky in these cases if if we get any information, because I had quite a few that they didn't tell me a name. They just gave me a date. Yeah. 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 I, I found several. And there were there were a couple here where it was Belle Walker. And then I find it as Mary Walker and a couple... I found it as like a single name, Maribel, M-A-R-I-B-E-L-L-E. And then I find it as Mary Bell Walker. And I know that like, yeah, throughout history, things change. But honest to God, the the lack of information about this kind of made me sick to my stomach, quite honestly. Me too. Yeah, it made me very sad. Well, and also like, I don't know that it's not still true today that the media does this. Like the media pays oh, way more attention if you're like cute and white than if if you're in a minority. Like it's disturbing. Well, thank God I'm cute and white. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So next we have uh, June fifteenth, a little over two weeks after Bell Walker. Uh, Addie Watts was bludgeoned with a brick and a coupling pin, which is uh, used uh, to uh, to hold railroad couples together, I guess, something. Yeah, I the tried, cars. I tried. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> what? Yes, railroads, yes. Thumbs okay, up. railroads, yes, <laughs> yes. And then she was dragged into the bushes and had her throat slashed. You did get a newspaper article here, a June 16th headline in the Atlanta Journal. I'm not sure what page it was on. Kind of doubting page one. Asking the question, Black Butcher at work? And this was where we had the very first uh, journalism comparing this particular case to Jack the Ripper. The quote was, Policemen advance the theory that Atlanta has an insane criminal, something on the order of the famed Jack the Ripper. And just, I know you all know. Uh, I mean, you're listening to this podcast. You must know. You're probably wondering why we haven't uh, hit him up yet. But Jack the Ripper, uh, he has five canonical victims. So that's five that are like definitely Jack the Ripper in 1888. And then there are a lot of other attacks that might be connected to him. Um, they did indict uh, Arthur Boyd and John Daniels for the murder of Addie Watts, but then as far as I knew, there was nothing more on what happened there. Not really big on following the court, the papers there, you know? They didn't care. They honestly, they didn't care about these victims, and they didn't really, like, follow up with any of this. Yeah, that's true. It was really, it was poor journalism and poor human beinging, I'm gonna say. Yes. I'd be willing to bet, I would be, I would put money down that there was a huge group of white people that were cheering this guy on. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but there were also some, as we'll see, who were upset at the inconvenience he was causing. As this progresses and women start being afraid to leave their homes after dark, well... You know, if you're going to be a cook in a home, you're going to need to be there after dark in order to serve dinner and clean it up. 
And so they were afraid to even go to work. And so a lot of the, the white households were complaining. They were, they were, they were suffering. You guys, they were really suffering without their servants. What a bad, that was what, the, what a shame. What an absolute they shame. They were victims in this whole thing. Let's forget that people are getting brutally, brutally murdered. And, uh, but you know, like Mr. Smith's not getting his, his roast beef and green beans on the table on time. So that's, that's the real tragedy. On June 27th, we have Lizzie Watkins, and I have literally nothing else about her. I don't have anything else on her either. Same, same, same. Lizzie Such Watkins cool. found her entire life is boiled down to the day she died and the fact that her throat was slashed. Yeah, that's basically it. And it's really, it's really honestly pathetic. Um, on July 1st, so you see the, the pace is kind of ramping up here. Uh, we had, now this is the case of Lena Sharp. Uh, she was 40. She was actually a neighbor of Addie Watts, who was who had been killed uh, two weeks ago. She goes to the market. Now, there's a couple different versions of this story, but she goes to the market on a Saturday evening, and she never comes back. Her daughter, Emma Lou, is 20, and Emma Lou is right in actually the, the demographic he seems to be hitting. He seems to be hitting up young women in their you know late, late teens, early 20s. So she goes looking for her mother and she finally gets to the market and everybody's like, well, she never, she was never here. She's heading home and she's near Inman Park and a, a, a very tall man approaches her. He's over six feet tall. He's very broad shouldered black man. He's very well dressed. Uh, he wore a, a black hat with a broad brim. And in the one version of the story, he said, how, you know, how are you doing this evening? She said, very well. She tries to go around him and he's, he gets in her way. Then he says, don't be afraid. I never hurt girls like you. And then immediately stabs her in the back. Well, that's then a, there's then another he lied. Issue. He lied. He <laughs> lied right to her face. And but again, much like in the Peter Curtin um, story where we had one case where he either went up to people and, and, and stabbed them went up to people and stabbed them after saying good evening um there was another newspaper that said he he never said a word so accounts are varying quite wildly here uh, emily um survived and she ran screaming away but fainted from the loss of blood when she woke up he was leaning over her his knife was like you know all, all poised and ready to stab her but then there was a the sound of footsteps coming as people were running to emily's escape and he ran off uh, Lena, her Emily's mother, was dead. She was practically decapitated by the slashing across the throat. And after this one, it, it was so brutal that the uh, an uh, area undertaker actually put up a twenty-five dollar reward, um, which would be seven hundred dollars today. Okay, so I am going to say this, and, and we're not there yet, but I am going to argue that Emma Lou heard his voice, and we will get to why later. I do agree with you. Yes, I do agree that he 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 probably said something. So he did. He had like you know we see the the modus operandi. It's kind of funny. He, everywhere we go, it says that he did tend to strike on Saturdays. He tended to strike young women, as I said, and usually they were mixed race. Um. So that that he he had a predilection. Uh, and he was going after a very vulnerable population, pretty much the most vulnerable population in the city. So, like, I, I have my own my own views on this. So um, I honestly think that since this is right after the race riots, this isn't a time that it's not appropriate. I think this was a white dude that liked dark-skinned women and was ashamed of it. 
Damn it. That is what I feel is what's going on here. I have a whole theory from another podcast that I was going to bring up at the end. (laughs) But you're too smart, Amber. (laughs) Not that I know whether that story is true or that theory is true or not. But I have no idea. And, like, I know a lot of the media wanted to paint it as it it was, like, black-on-black crime. I don't think that, especially because a lot of these women are mixed race. Even some of them, uh, I believe one of them was an Asian. Um, I feel like it's a white guy that was like, I want to bang these women, but I shouldn't kill them instead. Like, (laughs) that's where I went with it. All right. We can delve in much deeper into that. Um, I think at the the end, I'll bring up the... um the whole weird theory that I heard on a podcast and you, you guys are going to love this whole story. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So the thing about Saturdays, now, if again, this, this one particular, that the, the paper I mentioned um, by uh, that is a long paper, uh, McLaughlin and bang the third bang. Um, it did whittle those victims down. And after the whittling, the dates that they uh, occurred were Monday, Sunday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, Sunday, Friday, and Tuesday. But the Sundays could, in addition, be uh, bodies were found on Sunday, um, but they died on Saturday night too. So just to just to yeah, note that that's a, a lot of the cases was like Saturday night they went missing, and then the next day they found the body. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the case, and it's not like they were super great at, at, at pointing, you know, figuring out the, the time of death. <laughs> Back then, yeah. you know, it was like, well, she's cold. She could have been dead for an hour or a year. We don't know. Like, I feel like they just guessed, like, Scott's old tiny crimey. She's been dead, like, five days. Whatever. Like, yeah, right. I like to see, like, detectives come in there and go, uh, let's put the time of death down as September. <laughs> yeah, like, what do they walk? They walk in and they smell the body and they're like, I've been around this before. I'm going to say four days. Yeah. Four days. Uh, bring in, bring in Doctor Nose. He he's, he's the one we need. He knows what the decomp smells like. Just, <laughs> you know what? Uh, let's see here. She was in the freezer, so I'm going to say somewhere between an hour and five years. Yeah, could go either way. So on July eighth. This was an interesting one. Uh, a young woman named Mary Yadell. She was 22, and she was leaving a home where she worked as a cook for a, a WM Seltzer. Now, now here's something. So. Here's something I kind of found interesting. We're seeing we're seeing the the job cook appear again and again and again. Was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it something that was targeted or was it just kind of a thing? If you're a black woman in Atlanta, this is one of the few jobs you can get. Well, I think it's a combination of the two, honestly, because uh, just the fact that if you're a black woman in Atlanta, this is likely to be one of the few jobs you can get. And then also the fact that, like I said earlier, like, okay, so say you work in in a private home as a, as a, as a maid or as a, as a laundress or something like that. Um, you generally will probably leave and go home, you know, or either you live in the house or you leave and go home, you know, like around five, six, something like that. And we're in the summertime. So the sun is setting later. The cooks have to stay longer because they have to serve the dinner, clean up the dinner. So they're the ones who tend to be walking home uh, at night. So it might've been either just they, the opportunity was there or, or, um, 
honestly a targeted thing where you know the, the killer was like oh okay i've got these young black women walking home after dark so you know i'm gonna go after cooks or he was just going after anybody he saw i don't know if he targeted it depends on if he targeted them or if he just went for it whenever he saw somebody that he he liked or see i wanted I, to kill i don't know <laughs> i think it's just gonna be a happenstance thing because these were happening at some points every week and I don't think that you could spend enough time to like follow them and get their patterns if you're jumping to a different person the next week. Like That's it doesn't true. seem like he would have enough time to do that. So I think it was happenstance. It's all in the same neighborhood. He would see a girl that struck his fancy and then murder her in an alley. Well, it's kind of the same neighborhood, but it's also kind of it's like spread out within that neighborhood. Let me pull up my map because I'm a huge dork. Say, my house to your house is spread out. Like, <laughs> well, I can I can give you a little bit of a better idea of that. No, I want to go to the web page. I don't want to click check it. Yeah, I mean we're talking about like a pretty decent distance between them. Sometimes even within the same short time frame, actually plotting the distance between the two, kind of probably furthest apart. And they are. 4.9 miles apart. So not a huge distance, but travel also was much slower back then, unless you were walking. They probably walked at about the same pace as we do. Um, but that was Lizzie Watts um, from June 24th and Addie Watts from June 15th. So not too far apart, but those were like kind of like across the neighborhood. Um, if you live down uh, near or Atlanta or know the area, one was near Cabbage Town and one was kind of west of pittsburgh which is funny to say um you guys have a pittsburgh too yeah uh, i think so i think we're the only pittsburgh that has an h at the end of it well on the map it has an h at the end of it but that's the only place i've seen it i've i i've anytime i've seen it referenced i haven't seen the h but i, I, I that's what i've been told to over the years is that we're the we have the only pittsburgh with an h in it which you know claim to fame right there Hooray! We go. So, so now that we figured out the distance between two murders, um, uh, he okay. So Mary Adele, that's where we were. It's July eighth. She's twenty two. She's leaving the home where she works as a cook for W M Seltzer, and she hears a whistle from an alley, and there's a man coming towards her. He's tall, black, and this is a quote: tall, black, and well built, moving with a cat like tread. So she, knowing what's going on around here, just bolts. She's screaming and, and raising holy hell. She makes it back to uh, the Seltzer household. Uh, Mr. Seltzer goes to the door. She's yelling and he, he gets the situation. He grabs his gun and runs out to the alley and the man is still there. So Seltzer See, says, put... I was going to say, that doesn't make sense. Why did he stay in the alley after the girl ran screaming away? Like... I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. It that that seems like an incredibly stupid thing to do. Is is you know was he just standing there like, oh well you know maybe she saw a mouse. I'm sure she'll come back. <laughs> you know like I just wanted to tell her she was pretty. <laughs> like <laughs> just very very weird. So Seltzer says, put your hands up, and you know the man bolts. The cops come and they find nothing basically, as I'm sure they worked really hard. I bet they did. Yeah. Well, let's see. There's a sidewalk. Our job's done here. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> so on July 
10th, uh, now this is two days later, we have Sadie Hawley. She was a laundress and she was bashed in the head with a rock. And once again, another very close to decapitation, throat cut ear to ear. And her shoes are missing. Shoes are a weird thing that comes up. Yeah. She here's was... here's the thing with with the Mary Sadie thing. All right, so Mary, that was Saturday, July the eighth, and he didn't get his kill. And then Tuesday, the eleventh, Sadie is killed. No, oh, I have July tenth, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, you know what? She was found on the eleventh, so I bet you're right. I bet it is the tenth. She was actually a pool of blood was found in the middle of a road, and then thirty feet away, they found her nearly decapitated body. Yeah, she was she was found by a bunch of sewer workers who who had originally found the uh, the blood trail. Uh, by nine a.m., they were there were. Uh, let me do that again. By nine a.m., there were five hundred gawkers looking over her body hysteria ensued and i was just wondering did people buy a lot of toilet paper (laughs) (laughs) i'm wondering if they had a picnic because we all know how people like a murder picnic yeah in the 19 old times (laughs) so yeah the newspapers potentially setting up confusion for podcasters and writers on websites for centuries to come could not agree on whether this was the seventh murder the eighth murder or the ninth murder. You had different tallies in every paper, but finally, one of these murders of a young black woman does make it to the front page. And just the shooting. Yes, finally. It only takes seven, eight, or nine. Nobody's sure because nobody's really been keeping count because, you know, who cares? Ugh. Um, the police sure Nobody's been held. paying attention up to this point. Yeah, the police <laughs> sure as hell didn't care. The police weren't caring, so why should the journalists care? So I, I, I lay a lot of I lay a lot of blame on the journalists, but they uh, have a hard time caring if the police don't care. You know. Now, now let's talk about a little bit of a hero, so, uh, Cortland Wynn. He was the mayor, and he begins to lean on the police, going like, "You guys better fucking do something. You better fucking do it soon." So in in a rare rare case of forward thinking, at least I hope that's what it was. Cortland Wynn actually went, yeah, yeah, get this solved. I do have to be a little bit of a cynical Sally and say... I am too. I'm with Christy. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of it was pressure as it started to become more widespread in the media and more well-known. And, you know, nobody wants a ripper in their city. That's, you know, tourism will be down. You have people being scared. And also, he probably had some wealthy friends who, you know, Mr. Smith wasn't getting his roast beef and green beans once again. So I have to I have to be cynical, Sally. And and, um, Amber will be cynical. Sarah, my twin. (laughs) Sarah, do you like Sarah? Another name? I will take it. No, he, he was basically like, look, fuckers, you guys are making me look bad here. Get this shit out of the papers. He didn't even want it solved. He wanted it out of the papers. I was like, going to be a hopeful howl. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Uh, Loves the Apocalypse was going to be a hopeful howl. Hey, Go figure. no, I'm hopeful about the apocalypse, too. I think everything's going to be great because there's going to be a <laughs> lot less stupid people around. It but also, also a lot less and... toilet paper. And it also, it doesn't discriminate between dumb and stupid or dumb and stupid. Jesus. Uh, it's going to hit me. It's going to get me, guys. It's going to get me. Um, it does not discriminate between stupid and smart people. Although if you're pretty stupid, you'll have a lot more risk factors for it. Thank you. That's my point. All right. Make your point for you. 
Okay, so I should mention the shoe thing. This is a big thing for him. The shoes are... When I say the shoes are cut off, you're going to be like, why? Until you think about early 20th century women's shoes. They usually had like 25 buttons going up them. And sometimes you needed a special hook in order to fasten them. So he was actually being efficient in cutting them off. Um, and sometimes they were found nearby and sometimes they weren't. In one particularly delightful case, a newspaper reported that, quote, the woman's shoes were not molested, end quote. <laughs> and uh, we do have some webcam action going on. I can't see Scott's face, but I can see Amber's. <laughs> that, I am really just picturing somebody fucking a shoe. That, <laughs> I did not like the imagery. I don't blame you. So Henry Huff is actually arrested 24 hours after Sadie Holly's body <laughs> is discovered. He is a 27-year-old laborer, and he had been seen with her the night of the murder, when they pick him up, his pants are covered in dirt and blood. His arms are all scratched up. And he is eventually found not guilty. They also arrest Todd Henderson. He is 35 years old. Uh, he had been seen with Holly in a drugstore pretty near where the body was found. And a shoe print matched one of the crime scenes. Since we don't have anything else on him, we can pretty much assume, I think, I don't think I have anything else on him, that uh, they also either just let him go or found him not guilty. So they kept on picking up guys and it just wasn't sticking. I actually have a whole bunch on Todd Henderson. Lay it on me. All right. Todd Henderson. So, um, yeah, they, they saw him in the drugstore with Holly. Um, he was also identified in a police lineup by our Emma Lou, who survived. When he spoke in the lineup, she actually jumped yeah, she at said, the sound of his voice. She said, Oh, she I just thought... kind of blanked out on what I had there. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I do have that. <laughs> she said she thought the voice was, was pretty much exactly the same. On top of that, Henderson claimed he hadn't owned a razor or a knife in over a year, but he dropped off one to be sharpened at a local barber the day after Holly's murder because nothing will doll a, a dollar razor like the, the human body. Just trust me on this. Don't, don't ask yeah. me where I'm getting my information from. <laughs> and um, the papers were... were really not hiding their their racism in their quote from him which they wrote exactly like i'm about to say it and i'm gonna hate every second uh, of it. yes i saw that i actually i i pained for you at reading that <laughs> it's it's not even just the english lit, lit major in me and the the writing teacher in me it's also the human in me who sees somebody being painted as stupid because of the color of his skin um so i'm gonna go ahead and read this and i'm gonna hate this so okay all right here we go Gee, if I was Jack the Ripper, I sure would have begun on my wife, for she's gave me lots of old trouble. And it literally is written exactly like that. For instance, of is not of, it's O-B. And trouble is T-R-U-B-B-L-E. So, yeah, that's a bunch of racist bullshit there. Yeah, yeah, no, this case is full of racist bullshit. And There's fairness. so much. It's piles and piles of racist bullshit. Um, and this was about the time that they uh, they start doing plainclothes patrols in the area at night because, again, as I can quote from the newspaper, the murders have served to intensify the servant problem. This is when the actual, you know, like <laughs> police action starts happening. They they send people out because, you know, of the roast beef and the green beans. I'm starting to get hungry. Um, <laughs> For roast beef and green beans? I really at least want the green beans and maybe meatloaf instead of roast beef. <laughs> 
So, and churches started collecting money uh, to offer a reward for the capture. They managed to um, get donations of $1,200. That would be $33,000 in today's money. Damn. Damn. But you know what? Like, I want to point out that, again, this is the local churches that are making this happen. The only other reward money offered was $25. Wait, we, we do have one more, I will say. The governor offered a $250 reward, which is 7000 in today's money. So there's that. But that's pretty much, yeah, you, you have one outlier. <laughs> yeah, one outlier. Meanwhile, the churches are like, these are our ladies. Let's get these motherfuckers. <laughs> I just put Slothy up to the camera, so <laughs> I made it for giggle. <laughs> So yeah, the churches, uh, they, they did well with re- offering money. They didn't do so well with the um, not blaming their own community and, and trying to use this as a means of getting rid of vices they don't approve of. They basically blamed booze and gambling for it all, um, which... Well, I it's still just... a church. Yeah, yeah. It's still a church, but you know, I've known many a person who drinks and a couple of people who gamble, many people who gamble, and I haven't known any of them to go wandering around a city randomly killing women. So I haven't then... known myself to go wandering around a church. So <laughs> <laughs> then we have some hardcore racism from the magistrate Nash Broyles. All right, there are two cases of this word. I can't let go of the white guilt. Um so I um I'm going to cough. I'm going to cough into my arm uh, as a as a good little social distancer, but I can't do it, guys. I can't. I feel like I should. I feel like I, in a way, it's erasing that history to not say it, but I physically can't. So, uh, this is the magistrate who would be trying. You know, a lot of the, the men coming before him as potential rippers. I am satisfied that every one of the several women slain recently in Atlanta were murdered by a different man. There are at least 1,000 <coughs> men in Atlanta today who stand ready to cut the throats of their wives at the slightest provocation. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. I know, right? Like, well, somebody was like, well, why is it always happening on a Saturday? And he's like, well, that's why they're, when they're, he put it a way that I didn't copy it down and I wish I had. They they're put get- on their tanks. Yes. Thank you. Because I was going to say they get their tank on, which didn't seem right. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, I, I took it as, like, tanks, like, wife beaters, like, which is also a very bad thing to say in this case, especially, but, like, like a like tank top is how I took it. Like, they put on their tanks, and they go out, and it's their big night. Like, oh, I thought of it was some kind of slang for drinking. I was thinking that slang for drinking, too, be too, because of the, of the word tankard. Oh, yeah, 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 that's a good thought. Yeah, that's... That's... That very well could be. I went with wife beater, just be, I think, because of the topic. I was, I was thinking tank tops. (laughs) Let me go ahead and Google the phrase, put on their tanks. It's so weird. Tanks? Uh, yeah, it just gives me a whole bunch of things about tanks from the German army. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it is quiet for a while until August 31st when we have Marianne Duncan. Her body is found. She's 20 years old, no shoes once again, and her throat is cut from ear to ear. Then we have another quiet period. You have you see these happening. You know, sometimes they stretch out a little bit even, um, which is, again, another common uh, serial killer thing. that There's a cooling off period uh, before ramping back up. Minnie Wise, her on November 10th, her throat was cut um, and she had no shoes. 
A slight deviation here. Her index finger was cut off at the middle joint. Do you guys have any theories about this? Uh, I'm kind of wondering if maybe she wasn't wearing a ring that was kind of kind of found afterwards. I know the index finger is a weird place to wear a ring, but if if she had been murdered, it might have been easier to get the ring off in in the throes of like rigor mortis. If he had had time with the body, it might have been easier to get the ring off just by cutting the finger than to uh, to actually just pull it off. Other than that, I got nothing. Okay, so it was severed at the middle knuckle. So my theory is he either bit her and there was teeth marks in it or managed to get like, I don't know, some piece of him somehow. And he cut the finger off just so, like, it couldn't be proven. Like, I don't know. I feel like she she was trying to do something, and, and maybe that's why he took the finger. Like, he's trying to avoid any sort of evidence from, um, like, defensive... Well, you know, the defensive wounds she would have put on him, like his skin under her fingernails or something. But they didn't have that at the time, which is why I really feel like maybe she got her finger in his mouth, and he bit. Because they oh. would have been able to do teeth marks. Yeah, imprints. Yeah, good point. Good point. Because they never found the finger, right? The finger was no, just gone. No, finger was just gone. Yeah. So I think that she fought, got her finger in his mouth, and he bit. And, and it so is there the in- marks. And it is the index finger, so that you know that is where you you would normally go. So yeah, okay, good points. Good points all around. On November twenty first, we have Mary Putnam. This is she is a she is a small woman. I don't have an age for her. Well, no, I do have that she's middle aged. Sorry, which is as close as they'll get. And uh, uh, her throat was slashed. And here it gets. We go. We we veer a little bit right here. Her heart was removed. Jesus oh, that's and it Christ! Was, it was sitting right next to her. She was disemboweled. And actually, instead of the usual like body found somewhere, you know, like nearby. She was buried under loose dirt in a ditch, and her body was actually still warm when they found her. This one deviates so much. You know what? I you have skipped. questions. You skipped. who did I skip? Um. So on August thirty first, we had Marianne Duncan, no shoes, throat cut. I'm not sure if we said that one. November tenth, there was Minnie Wise, no shoes, cut ear to ear. That was the index finger. Okay, no, you didn't skip. Um. The thing we we missed, though, is the mayor sent a letter out defending his city. So he actually sent out a letter saying, no, Atlanta is a great place. We don't have crime. This could happen anywhere, blah, blah, blah. A week after he sent that letter was was this murder that seems to go a little off track, but I think it pissed the killer off. I think mm. that's what happened. So the mayor sends out this, uh, oh, this could happen anywhere, and we're we're the best city to be ever, and blah, blah, blah. And he was just defending his city, and this killer's like, no, fuck you. Like, yeah, I'll show you. Show you where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was, there was actually a catalyst for that one. Interesting. That is fascinating. <laughs> um, but I don't know about, the, for the Mary Putnam, I don't know where I stand on whether that actually qualifies there's so many deviations you have and really the the biggest similarity is that she has her throat slashed i mean she's granted he he, lena sharp was 40 and he he killed her so he's definitely not above killing a a middle-aged woman if we want to call 40 middle-aged 
um which we don't <laughs> i'm not ready i'm not ready <laughs> um but then all this other stuff is different the, the throat slashing um and the fact that she was black are really the only similarities what do you guys think it's i think it's the same guy i really do I, i'm just thinking that we're looking at escalation yeah escalation maybe yeah and um she is if we're going by again that uh that particular pdf uh journal article that i i mentioned uh mclaughlin and bing the third uh she would be on their list when they're in the, on their very strict system of 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 removing i'm not saying cutting out uh victims from the the other lists uh she would be the last yeah this... she's not the last on on our list of possible victims but she's the last on theirs yeah this this just feels like ramping up where it's like he he got his jollies by killing women and that it's i i think this is very much a sexual power thing uh but then like it's just I want to try something new. I want to try something different, and he ends up ramping it up and ramping it up and ramping it up, and pretty soon he's like cutting the hearts out of women. Yeah, but then he doesn't continue with the ramp up. Maybe he decided he decided that he didn't like the ramp up or it spoiled things for him or something. I don't I, know. Like, I think he almost. This... I think he almost got caught. The fact that the body was still warm, I, I think. It, I think he almost got caught, and it probably scared him. So now he's got a. He goes, I can't have as much fun. I can't, I can't spend the time with my victim that I wanted. Uh, if you go back, I don't want to make, I don't want to make comparisons, but you have to just because the word Ripper's in there. If you go back to the Jack the Ripper case, his canonical last victim, Mary Kelly, I mean, he, he dismantled that woman. Why? Because he had the time. It wasn't mm. in an alley. It was in it was in a private room. He knew he probably wasn't going to get caught. He dismantled Mary Kelly. I wow. think that he he was trying this guy. I'm not saying it was Jack the Ripper. I don't believe it was the Jack the Ripper. I think he was trying to take his time, but he didn't have the privacy that Jack had with Mary Kelly, and he almost gets caught. So, because yeah, the body was still warm. It's that's that's kind of a that's kind of a big tell that somebody, yeah that's a very close call for him yeah so i think that yeah he wanted to i think he would have liked to but he's he almost gets caught and now he's got that panic in him and he's got to play it safe uh i will say that on the topic of mary kelly i believe it was her picture of her body that became added to my tally of pictures of dead bodies i wish i hadn't seen when I was just doing research for this uh, this week for for this case, so there's another reason that I'm kind of like, and eh, maybe Jack the Ripper can wait until I have like you know more definite access to frequent therapy. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you a bit. That picture was horrifying because you do this thing where it's, and I think it's like one of the ones on just on Wikipedia for God's sakes. You do this thing where you're like, "What is that?" And you, you don't read the caption and you lean in, and then your eyes go to the caption. And you're like, "Oh no, oh, it's horrifying." Yeah. So anyhow, it's it. Yeah, that that photo. You're right. He took his time. He had his time, and it's it's absolutely just it's brutal. Oh God. Oh, okay. I got to move on. Um, 
So more brutality, I guess. Um, on December 8th, uh, Zella Favors. Who I love the name Zella. Anybody else? I, I like that name a lot, actually. I really like that. I'm going to play some Sims soon, and I'm going to tell you I'm going to have a Sim named Zella. Um, so she was found on her porch on Taylor Street. So she's actually, like, practically in her house. She's on her porch. Now, again, some slight differences here, and this is probably part of the reason that uh, the the paper I read uh, removed her from the list. Is she is not just... She, she, it says that she's beaten and slashed repeatedly. There's not necessarily mention of her neck being cut. Um, it doesn't necessarily say that, you know, she had her, you know, she was beaten on the head or hit on the head with like a, a coupling pin or something like that. And so it's just like, I don't know. You know what, though? The papers at the time were leaving a lot out. So a lot of these oh, victims yeah. were actually like the crimes were sexual in nature. Um, the victims weren't true. raped, but they were mutilated. The papers very strategically left out a lot of that because they didn't want to upset anybody. Um, but like a lot of these crimes were very kind of sexual in nature. And like, I don't know the full details of that. I don't know that I want to, but, but I mean, these are crimes of passion, which again leads me to my original theory. <laughs> and beaten could be sort of a, a, a soft euphemism for sexually assaulted or raped. Yeah. The way they wrote things back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then one source says she survived and one source says she died. So we don't know. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Maybe. Was she nineteen? I didn't have a I didn't have a, a age uh, for her. Um and so supposedly she had been seen earlier that night with a man who was overheard saying, Jack the Ripper ain't dead yet. And they found her by following a blood trail from the spot where she was standing with him to where she was found on her porch. So not looking good for whoever that guy is, but it really didn't matter because the police weren't trying all that hard. Here's what I have on Pearl. January 20th, 1912, Pearl Williams, her throat was cut from ear to ear. That's it. (laughs) It's not like you guys missed the huge wealth of details. Yeah, like I didn't have names. I literally have, there was a 19-year-old and then a 15-year-old that was found in the river, both of them with their throat cut and mutilated. Neither one did I have a name for. I think those I have more in the springtime. And this is yeah, that is more in the spring. Yeah, so you have more than I have. See, All right, I'll talk about. Oh, go ahead, Scott. The the only thing I have here that really, really, uh, anything, anything else than what we have, I have the the weird Coca Cola connection to the case. Oh, yeah, yeah. Asa Candler, the the creator of Coca Cola, was like like endorsed a petition. By by many of of the uh, of the black residents to hire a black detective to look into the case because they went all our cops are white. Could we please get a black detective in here so like he might give a shit? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's a good idea, and they don't really do it, do they? No, they don't. No, they no, don't. No, they don't. But it was a good idea. It was a very good idea. And then on February 16th, the chief of police in Gainesville, Georgia. Do you guys have the letter he got? Jesus, I missed a lot. 
It's okay. We all have different sources. That's mm-hmm. that's part of the fun. He gets a letter from, um, quote, it's signed Black Jack the Ripper, and he basically. <laughs> I feel yeah, like the, I feel like somebody's being black exploited here. <laughs> well, he's the, the, in the letter. The the supposed Black Jack the Ripper threatens to come to Gainesville, and says, "You had better prepare for me and see that the <clears throat> women behave." And this is reported in the newspaper. This had a huge effect on the black community. So once again, guys, once again, white people were deprived of servants. Won't somebody think of the white people, please? (laughs) Jesus Christ, the self-absorption, I swear to God. Okay, and I realize the the severe irony of us all being white people. (laughs) I was going to say, that's... I'm like glowing in the dark on our webcam right now. <laughs> you really are. I learned thanks thanks to this case. I learned a new racial slur this week. Dear, <laughs> oh, you like you needed more. <laughs> I know, I know. Octoroon. Oh, you hadn't heard that one before. I had never. I heard... had never heard that one either. Yeah, Octoroon. I had to look it up. It's it's a racial slur for a person who is one eighth black. How racist do you have to be to need to have a racial term for that? Super. The answer would be super racist. Yes. Super yeah, I, racist. I guess I've probably heard it because I've read a lot of historical fiction. Um, so you, you learn weird terms and, and not I don't I haven't I don't have too many, you know, odd old fashioned racial terms up my sleeve, uh, uh racial stories up my sleeve, but I, I do have lots of weird words from reading like uh, like like John Jake's Civil War novels and Anne of Green Gables. I run the gamut. I'm really I'm just a I'm a, I'm a wealth of good taste. So it is Octoroon is the second most racist thing I've ever heard in my life. And then they have it, and it goes in um it, it goes in fractions. There's a quadroon as a term too. Jesus Christ! The, I know, the, right? The most racist thing I've ever heard in my life is whenever the state of Arkansas didn't want to didn't want to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day a holiday. How racist do you have to be to not want to take a day off work? Oh, my um I'm going to go ahead and name and shame my hometown. Well, I won't name it, but I'll shame it. Uh for the longest time, for the majority of my time in the educational system there, we did not get Martin Luther King Jr. Day off. But we did get the first day of deer season. So, that's, that is a big uh, Pennsylvania thing. Like I, I got, I went to three different high schools, two of them in Pennsylvania, and the Pennsylvania ones always got first day of deer off. And like when I was in Florida, I was like, "Do you have this day off?" They're like, "Why the fuck would we have that day off? Like, what's wrong with you?" I like to think that there are other like animal related holidays that we don't know about. Like in Florida, everybody gets like the first day, like whenever one of your classmates gets eaten by a, by a gator, that day you get off. There you go. Absolutely. Make, if it's not a thing, make it so, Florida. Absolutely. So back to the actual topic we were talking about. No, um, I want more Florida stuff. I try to give you guys the reins, and you just drive the horse right off the road. Yeah. Florida, man. <laughs> I might have driven that one off the road. I'm not really sure what happened. Um, on February 17th uh, to, of 1912, uh, Alice Owens, her throat is cut from ear to ear, and her body is mutilated. Now, they do arrest her husband, Charlie Owens, for the murder. And there's two others who are arrested for possible involvement with the murder, James Jones and John Jenkins. 
yes, I knew today that I wouldn't get through it, and I, 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 I showed myself what was up. That, uh, that's it's hard to say. That's a lot of J's. I was going to say that, Jones and John Jenkins. That's a lot of murderous alliteration going on right there. It really is. Yeah, it, it just really makes me want to sing that John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt song for some reason. Exactly. Nope. I had the same exact reaction. <laughs> So they do, <laughs> they do convene a grand jury, um, and in March 1912, this grand jury, uh, basically, it doesn't seem like it was called against the men. Amber, why are you shaking your head? Uh, I don't know if it's the same grand jury findings that I have. I, I'm, I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, well, you want to go ahead with yours? No, go ahead. <laughs> okay, all right. So, um... They basically said there is no Ripper in Atlanta. Every single one of these murders was, quote, jealousy following immoral conduct, end quote, which basically is they're calling the women sluts. Yes. They're saying all these women are, um, you know, like cheating on the men. And then the men are coming back and finding out about it and they're killing the women. So it's it's very uh, it's very racist and misogynist like so you know scott you have something in common <laughs> thank you yeah thank no, you very that much is, that is the same thing that i found too do, was, do we yeah. want to talk about the fact that i'm dating a black woman right now because i feel like i need to throw that out there to defend I myself feel like that's your version of i have a black friend <laughs> oh. jesus wow it's a thing it's a thing that people say. It's a step above. It's a step above. I didn't even bring up my black friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't. You, you brought out the big guns, your girlfriend, you know? Like, that's, that's dating is different than, you know, like, hey, let's uh, have coffee or, you know, meet on Zoom or whatever the fuck we do these days. I feel like if meet you're... On Zoom. <laughs> I feel like if you're willing to go, I want to be in a relationship with this person, automatically that classifies you as not racist. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Monsters Ball was a thing. I don't know. <laughs> I think it. I think it gives you. It offers you a lot of credit. But I think that there are unfortunately so many ways to be racist that I, I think we all. I, I think everybody of every race is a little bit racist against somebody out there because it's just so pervasive. I I and, I know that my for for a little while after my girlfriend's father found out that she was dating a white man, he wanted to shoot me. But I think we're ooh. we're okay now. So honestly, so honestly, who's who's the racist here? Not me. I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to shoot anybody. And that also shows that progress can be made. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look at Chrissy hope into this <laughs> yeah cynical sally has left the room hopeful hallie is here <laughs> hopeful hopeful hope how about that no Ho never i like hope, hope which is weird i like hopeful harriet <laughs> hopeful harriet there we go i yeah. like that yeah all right i'm staying over here on the cynical side <laughs> so, um I'm not sure why this grand jury was convened. It doesn't seem like it was convened to actually anything having to do with Charlie Owens. It seems like it was actually convened to answer the question of, is there a ripper? Uh, I, I, I may or may not be wrong, right about that. I'm not sure. Um, so on April 6th, this is actually Easter Sunday, you have the body of Mary Kate Sledge being found. She is 19 years old, and this is where uh, Scott's fun racial term comes in. 
Uh, it, it appears that there was a struggle and she was stabbed in the neck. So as you can see, a lot of these deviating from the pattern so you can understand why some people would remove them from the, the general list of victims. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that there was a grand jury created to go, is, I wonder if people are actually getting murdered. <laughs> is, is there a killer out there? I don't know. I haven't heard this much denying ever since, like, whenever I was a kid, cattle mutilations were a big thing. And no one wanted to admit somebody was out there murdering cattle. Were, oh, the, yesterday, three, three cows were found on the farm with their, her, uh, their hearts surgically removed and their genitals in their mouth. No foul play suspected coming up next. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? I had forgotten all about that. Yeah, and it was just like, so no, 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 it's, it's animal predation. No, it's not. Animals do not surgically remove hearts and stick genitals in their mouths. It's... <laughs> <laughs> that you know of. So on April 15th, an unidentified woman is found floating in the river... Uh, she is 15 years old. Her throat is cut. Her body is mutilated. So that does fit the pattern, I think. But we don't have a name for her or really much of anything else. And then also sometime in April, we don't have an exact date, Marietta Logan, a.k.a. Mary South. She's found near Atlanta Avenue and Fraser Street with her throat cut. And uh, all this time, Charlie Owens has still been in jail. So the man that they're saying, you know, is is possibly the Ripper, he's been in jail this whole time. So if these murders actually are the Ripper, he's not it. But he is found guilty of killing his wife. Uh, and so there's at least three Rippers that, sorry, there's at least three murders that kind of maybe sort of follow the pattern while he's locked up and he ends up getting life in prison. Um, well, here's the thing with this. So you have a serial killer going around and if your wife kind of fits in the profile you might have an easy out and i think that could have happened a few times here where the husbands are like you know what this seems like a good idea i can get away with this it's fine like we're in the neighborhood she looks like a victim we'll do it (laughs) but that feels like okay so it's very high risk because you run the risk of okay so maybe you can get away with it because everybody will pass it off as it just being the Ripper. But on the other yeah. hand, you have, like, in our old Tiny that Scott did, where they could be like, well, you did this. Clearly, you're the Ripper. If you don't get away with it, you get you, you potentially get, like, eight murders pinned on you. So That's fair. It's a risk. It's a, huge, I, it's a huge risk. I feel like a lot of people, especially if they had alibis from before that, you can easily be like, she, she was just a victim of the Ripper. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, 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 Ripper got her. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go find myself another wife, and maybe the Ripper will still be around in five years. But I need to get rid of her. So, on August 7th, 1912, you have a possible victim in Marietta, Georgia. She's no older than 25, and again, she's a uh, mixed race. Um, and then on August 10th, we have Harry Brown, a.k.a. Lawton Brown, who is arrested for the murder of Ava Florence. She was killed uh, way back in October 22nd, 1911, but she had been stabbed in the neck. She was not slashed. So we have stabbing, not slashing, which we have seen in a couple cases that have been pinned on the Ripper. But then again, 
who the hell knows, honestly, with this. So here we have the fun theory. Who wants to deliver the fun theory that the police come up with? Well, I, I can deliver what Harry's wife said. Okay, go um, for it. So his wife actually went to the police and said that he would come home on Saturdays covered in blood where his his uh, clothes would be so drenched that he would lay them out to dry because they were just saturated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, not not suspicious at all. Not suspicious. Yeah, so his wife is like, yeah, it's, every, it's like every Saturday is consecutive Saturdays. He just comes home all bloody. I don't know what he does. You might want to look at him. It's only been happening for a year and a half, going on two years, you know. He kept, See, tell- no. he kept telling me he was on his period. <laughs> <laughs> it's ketchup. Like, now, this is the cool thing about when you live in a time of, of a serial killer, because the husbands can kill their wives and try to pin it on the killer, but the wives can turn their husband into the police and be like, I keep finding all this stuff. Maybe you should look at them. They look over. Yeah, just check them out. Like. <laughs> You see that quite a bit with serial killer cases, um, like in the case of He Who Shall Not Be Named, when you had women coming forward and being like, yeah, I'm absolutely sure my boyfriend's it. He's, he's, he's uh, Albert Fish is his name. It's been long enough. I, I've, I've moved past. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and eventually it ended up just being like spite or anger or, or, or they were being abused and trying to you know get away from him in, in a somewhat ingenious but not foolproof way. <laughs> So. But good try. But well, good try. There there was the Potts girl, too. We did an old tiny crimey on the Potts girl where the woman wrote like down on the thing going like, my husband's a murderer, and then hid it underneath the carpet of her home. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so the theory, if you guys want, I'll go ahead with this, that the theory that police come up with is that Henry Brown is a modern-day bluebeard. He has 12 wives that he lives with each one for a short time, and then he kills her. This is their theory. This is what they think is reality, because you had two separate women coming into the station saying, I'm his wife. One of them was like, you know what? I live with this guy, and I'm pretty sure he's the Ripper. And the other one was like, is he okay? <laughs> so very different attitudes from the women in his life, potentially. But just two women come in, and then he has his wife. And it's the the answer is not, oh, well, he's sleeping around on his wife, or, you know, like, he, he's, he's telling, telling stories to these women that he's not married or whatever, or he's a bigamist or a trigamist. No, 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 no. The answer is he has 12. 12 wives. I think the phrase would be dodecamist. <laughs> Don't yeah. take a yeah. Well, but but here here's the kind of sad thing about Harry Brown is he actually suffered hallucinations. He was mentally ill. He was um, not well at all. No, he, so, yeah, he very well could have had like a wife and a girlfriend, but not been aware that he had these two separate things going on. Like he was not mentally well. <laughs> so we're thinking Harry might have had dissociative identity disorder. I. Okay, well, my theory is um, the psych evaluation said that he had an unexplainable mania. And we know that when people are manic, they tend to overdo things like shopping or gambling or even like it can be cleaning. Sometimes it can be, you know, like it can be great things like making art and such. Um, But I think that Henry Brown's mania led him to uh, overdo marrying women. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like it. Thank you. <laughs> On the fly, people. All right. So he was actually really familiar with the murders and even said, well, yeah, I saw two of them happen. And they were like, well, why didn't you do anything about it? And he was like, well, I was scared. Which, I mean, makes sense, but also just the, yeah, they were all kind of kind of in the same area, but just the sheer coincidence of happening to see two of them, it kind of seems like a little bit much. Um, but you, he, he did, this is weird. This is, this is weird. Police were like, well, he showed us his knife, the knife that he used to kill Eva Florence, which was found by her body. So the big question becomes, how the crap did he get his knife? <laughs> like... They they should have had his knife in their possession. So how the hell did he show? I don't. It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But the police also tied him to a chair and beat him until he confessed. Yes, they did. Uh, and <laughs> that's how you also... handle mental illness back in those days. <laughs> that's basically yeah. That was therapy. Yeah. So the trial starts, um, but there is a lot of testimony about his mental state. A lot of people come forward and say, look. If it'll get him some attention, he will say pretty much anything. Or if he is under pressure, like, say, I don't know, chained to a chair, he will say pretty much anything. He acquitted on October 18th. So then we have on March 13th, so, or sorry, March in March 1913, Laura Smith, she's a young mixed-race servant. Her throat is cut. Her body is mutilated. Papers are like, well, this is the third murder like this in 1913, but they don't mention the other ones because apparently, like, journalism was just just as low effort as you can possibly get. Um, a little weirdness on March 7th, 1914, which is a Saturday, by the way, someone set off the fire alarms at three fireboxes around town. I guess if you, if, you know, telephones weren't, like, hugely prolific, so if there was... No, ubiquitous. There we go. Telephones weren't usually ubiquitous, so if there was, um, uh, you know, I guess a, an alarm that you could just pull, like like you have fire alarms in buildings, maybe I don't know. I don't, weird old timey stuff. Um, and the fire chief finds a note there that says uh, it's from Jack the Ripper, and if black women are out past a certain hour, he'll slit their throats. He also has some threatening words for pawnbrokers, and then basically some threatening words for all women. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that was a prank. You guys? Uh, I don't know. It's the threatening, uh, it's just insane enough for it to be him. That is true, but it also feels like something that, like, two teenagers were having, you know, a going on a little spree and drinking a lot and they're like oh you remember when that ripper guy was 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 tearing up women all over the town and you know oh well we should we should oh we should really mess with them we should make them think he's still around well how can we do that oh we can kill a girl no 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 back up back up back up <laughs> there's definitely easier ways for, for me it's and the so whole, they decide to leave a note <laughs> it's the whole thing of like and fuck the pawnbrokers that seems yes. like insanity to me <laughs> That that's true. That's true. I'm just thinking. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going back to Arrested Development. And you always, that's why you always leave a note. Um, so like I said, you do um have uh, those 19 total potential victims. Most, but possibly not all, we've discussed today. I don't know. I didn't keep count. Um, but like I said, if you take the ones where someone was convicted, and the murders don't quite fit with the modus operandi, you get 10. And then if you take away the ones where somebody was arrested for them, but then let go, you get eight. 
And the activity ran in this case from uh, October 3rd, 1910, possibly, maybe earlier, we don't know, to January 9th, sorry, January 19th, 1912, possibly later. Uh, we don't know. As you can see, there is a trend here. Yeah. <laughs> really, um, the trouble was that the newspapers all had different numbers. And the coroner, who was a very recent graduate of uh, the Atlanta Law School, was legally blind. He had to oh, rely my. on secondary descriptions. Like somebody would stand there and tell him what was at the scene and what was at the, 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 up with the body and everything. So um, uh, I am very close to legally blind. And uh, I can tell you, uh, without the aid of uh, some sort of eyewear, I should not be a coroner. Um, <laughs> so, I, before I move I, on to this... I want to see a blind coroner do an autopsy. <laughs> you do, don't you? I, I do. <laughs> God help me. That, that, by God, that's a lifetime TV series. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Stumbles. Let's, let's start the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Stumbles McGillicuddy, blind coroner. That's perfect. So do you guys have any other stuff um, on the main victims before I delve into the, the theory that, that Amber, with her smartness, uh, managed to guess at long before I came to it? Uh, uh, no, that pretty much covered all my stuff. Yeah, the, the only thing that I can hit on is this does not seem to be one person. This seems to be... The work, uh, this feels, at least to me, this feels to be the work of three or four people. I do believe that definitely not all 19 of the, the victims that are generally considered to be Ripper victims are there. I, I feel like t my thinking is two to four. I'm willing to bump it down a notch. But yeah, I, I, do, I do agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Amber, theory time. Uh, I already I gave my theories at the beginning and I'm sticking to them. I think this was a white guy that was very very attracted to uh, to the what was the what was the phrasing mulattoes? Is that what they were calling them? Octoroons, mulattoes, no, no. mixed. Well, yeah, I don't know what what. Oh my gosh, this is so ridiculous that you need a freaking table to classify the racism. Holy shit! But anyway, I I think this was a white guy that was very attracted to them. And instead of just castrating himself, like he should have done, he went out and killed women in the middle of the night. Now I will say that there are a lot of victims here that I think were one-offs. I don't think that they were the, the rippers victims, but they got lumped in because where else are we going to put them? Do we have to investigate a second murder? No, fuck that. It's a ripper. Like, so that is my theory. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> So I'm going to delve into, now this comes from the podcast Catlick, and why they call it that, I still do not know <laughs> to this day. I've listened to like 15 episodes, still don't know. Um, it's by B.T. Harmon, or it's hosted by him, and it's it delves a lot more deeply. If you're interested in the Atlanta Ripper murders, I would give that podcast a listen. Uh, it starts with them, and then it starts connecting that to other uh, matters that occurred and events that occurred throughout Georgia um, in the following years. Can I give you my theory on why they're called Catholic? Sure. Because sure, why not? I've got theories up, up the wazoo tonight. So I'm going with Catholic because it's rough, a little tickly, but you still really enjoy it a whole lot. <laughs> Actually, the production values are pretty good, so it's not that rough. 
Uh, I don't. I don't know about that. the subject matter. Might be rough. The subject matter can be rough. Um, it, it, it's it's handled pretty well, and he actually is uh, adult enough and in touch with his white guilt enough to be able to to say the the word that I had to cough. So whenever he's doing quotes, um, but okay. So anyhow, um, but this is so if you if you want to listen to the, to, to that, if you're interested in that, I would stop listening now because I'm about to spoil a pretty interesting and really kind of off the wall theory that. It, it, we kind of already know the details of, um, but there's a whole story that goes behind it that I'm going to summarize. So I would just stop listening now and then go listen to that if you're interested. But if not, stick with us, and I'm going to summarize a story that somebody else told and a connection that they made, and this is interesting. So uh, this happened, uh, this started in Thomasville, Georgia. This is a little uh, town that's last, it's the last stop on the train line, nice little town. And we're going back to September 24th, 1908. So we're rewinding a little bit from the, the Ripper murders. You have a woman named Lucille Linton. She is uh, about 40 years old-ish. She's single. She's white. She's living in her uh, the home of her father who has recently passed away. She's from a very prominent and wealthy family. She's well-known around town. She had just gotten a telegram from her brother-in-law earlier uh, and he had said he was going to come and visit her. So not to, you know, like she, shortly before she's expecting him to come, there's a knock at her door. It's a rainy night. Uh, Lucille Linton opens the door and there's an older black woman there. She's, uh, she's dressed like pretty much all in black and then with a blue bonnet. Behind her, there's a horse and buggy. And she just hands Linton a note from uh, somebody who lives a little ways away named Alice Ritchie. Uh, and it says, you know, your brother-in-law is here. He was riding his horse and he was thrown at, from the horse and injured. So it's basically like, get here. He may die, you know. So she, Lucille's like, all right, I'll go with you. And she goes to pack a bag. Uh, and then as she's thinking about it, she's like, something seems a little off here. So she does throw her gun into the bag. Gets into the buggy and the old woman is driving and starts taking her uh, away that Lucille knows this is not right. This is not the way to the Richie place. She says, take me home, take me home. The old woman refuses. So Lucille breaks out her gun. There's a confrontation and a struggle over the gun. And uh, Lucille screams. A nearby farmer hears it. He comes riding up and the old lady makes a run for it. Probably faster than an old lady should be running. So they get a posse going uh, with uh, bloodhounds uh, even catching the scent uh, of the of the older woman, and they take the, the bloodhounds lead them to a cabin. Now this cabin looks fairly abandoned. They start investigating. They go into the cabin. In one room, they find like a white tarpish type, like big big piece of white fabric that's kind of like a tarp. In another room, they find a mirror, a lantern, a candle, and a dirty towel covered in greasy black stains. They also find peepholes drilled into the walls and wires along the floor that basically were rigged up. They, they were supposed to be rigged up to a gun that would shoot anyone who came in, but that gun was missing. So this is a murder house. <laughs> this is definitely a murder house. This it's, is a super murder I house. I approve. <laughs> it, it's, it's like a tiny version. Like if H.H. H. Holmes decided to be eco-friendly and go for a tiny home. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in the well, they look in the well and they find hanging from a, a nail protruding from the, the inner wall of the well, almost like it got caught there when somebody tried to throw it in there to get rid of the evidence, a bunch of women's clothing bundled up. Uh, so along comes 
uh, a gentleman named William Mitchell or W.H. Mitchell. He's around 45, 50-ish. He's a local farmer, but like not, not what we think when we think farmer. He's pretty wealthy. He's pretty well known around the area. He comes up with the posse and he says, oh, well, my horse and buggy were just stolen. So maybe that's connected. I don't know. And so all night, you know, people are talking to Lucille Linton and she's like, I don't know who attacked me. I don't know that woman. I don't know. The next day, eventually, she's like, all right, okay, all right, all right. And I did I did know who attacked me. I did. Uh, it was William Mitchell. <laughs> William Mitchell is the older black woman. And so two nights later, the police are actually called. This has not quite gotten up to law enforcement yet. And the police are called for a shooting at Mitchell's farmstead. And he's been shot in both legs and in the hand. And he says, well, I was just hanging out and reading and a man just came to my window and shot me. And a manhunt ensues and comes up with nothing. So uh, basically it comes out that he likes to uh, dress in women's clothing sometimes and also likes to throw on some blackface and he uh gets arrested they actually do arrest him for this and the prosecutors uh come to trial ready with tons of evidence they say that you know here are two telegram operators to testify that mitchell forged linton's brother-in-law's signature on the telegram the day before he you know some older black woman showed up at her house and said her brother-in-law was injured uh, three local merchants said that they had sold him women's clothing and specifically named items that uh, they had found in the in the bundle in the well. Lucille Linton herself was like, yeah, actually, um, the skirt he was wearing was part of what gave it away because uh, I remember his wife wearing that. So. <laughs> um, it's like a racially insensitive uh, Norman Bates. Exactly. Um, I don't know why, but I keep picturing like Ted Danson when he was dating Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that's he where I even, keep going. They even found they found cut up stockings, like stockings with the feet cut off of them. He would wear those over like his arms to like he 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 would do the the blackface, but then he would do like the stockings so we didn't have to like paint his arms and, and stuff up and down. It was it was pretty intense. Um, so the theory was that he was going to kidnap Lucille Linton, take her to the old cabin, which, by the way, was on his property, uh, keep her there, and, you know, um, probably horrors would ensue for Lucille Linton. But when the plan was foiled, he ran back and stripped down. So there you have mirror, candle, lantern, uh, towel covered in black greasy stains. You have the clothes that he tried to hide, but then got caught on a nail. You have all this stuff. When you have the booby trapping and the peepholes and stuff, that's definitely a creepy kidnap murder house. Horrifying. I so I, I I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree. And why the hell? <laughs> I don't think you can if you're saying. <laughs> why, why the hell? For the life of me. Why are people trying to get rid of evidence in their drinking water? Well, I mean, it was an old abandoned place. I don't know if he would have been drinking from it, especially once he realized that his plan was spoiled. He was like, well, not going to be needing this anymore. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you're right. It is stupid when people do that. 
Um, or some people who were being maybe a little bit more charitable or maybe were a little bit more uh, hopeful. Harriet said, well, he was probably just going to keep her there while he robbed her home. And I'm like, peepholes, peepholes there for a reason. Yeah, that's uh, that's not where it was going to happen there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So um, he claimed temporary insanity. Uh, He was found guilty of assault and battery and uh, sentenced to be on a chain gang for one year. But he said, oh, I'm too sick. And he ended up at a state prison farm hospital and got early release. Uh, all, All of this took a really long time with appeals and shit for him to even get to his punishment early release in July 1910 for good behavior. Don't know really how uh, long he actually spent, but that date, July 1910, is kind of important because the theory that was raised here, and this I know sounds off the wall, and I do agree. It's not a theory that I necessarily fully believe in. I feel like parts of it could be true. But they say that maybe there's a possibility that uh, because even newspapers back then, there was a newspaper that said, that there are white men going around committing crimes in blackface and laying the, the blame on, on, on black men's shoulders and, and all the, not just the blame, but the punishment as well. And so the theory goes that, that BT Harmon lays out is that Mitchell got out of prison and he would take the train down to Atlanta and commit the Ripper murders there. Um, basically the Lucille Linton thing was just a trial run for his first murder and afterward, he, you know, reworked the whole scenario. He's like, okay, I here were my mistakes. I did it in a small town. All right, I'll go to Atlanta. Um, uh, I did it in a place where people will recognize me. Well, nobody's going to recognize me in, you know, a, a, a lower class black neighborhood. So I'll go there. And uh, also, I tried to kidnap and probably horribly, brutally murder uh, a, a a strong, well-known, prominent woman who was smart enough to put a gun in her bag when she thought things were a little awry. So I'll switch to a more vulnerable population, uh, people who are servants and walking down the street at night. Um, so that is um, one possible theory that some, some potential evidence, not evidence, just stuff that leans in favor of this theory, maybe. Um, the judge who did his trial actually called him a Jekyll and Hyde type said like the man that I hear doing these these horrible deeds and trying to kidnap Lucille Linton is not the man that I know I think you he literally said Jekyll and Hyde uh and there's no specific mentions of him going there which if you've ever looked at, at newspapers or read some historical fiction you know that they used to actually publish when somebody was in town visiting or when somebody was leaving town it's very it's very weird it's that social thing um you know like Mrs. Linton is in town visiting Mr. and Mrs. Smith and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she will stay for two weeks. It was just this big thing when somebody came to town. It's weird how life has changed. Good um, good news. You can rob her place pretty much unassisted. <laughs> yeah, you have, pretty much. You have two weeks to clean her right the fuck out, but an industrious man could do it in three hours. <laughs> that, I think that once all, all this apocalypse stuff is over, um, we're probably going to start publishing that people are visiting people in newspapers again, just because it'll be so such a novelty. Oh, my God. Somebody left their house. What? Somebody's the, he, he was a brave soul. He went and got a Big Mac. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, there's no specific mentions of him going there, even though there are mentions of his wife visiting. But uh, he had business in the railroads. uh, So, you know, he would have been very familiar with that. Um, He could have gone there with the excuse that he was going to sell his crops. He grew cantaloupes, of all things. I don't know why, but okay. 
Um, he did have close family friends there, and he had two half-brothers in Atlanta. And then finally, if you want to try and tie one more thing together, we can take the whole shoe thing and tie that to his deal with women's clothing and maybe have a, a, a very tenuous connection. Like I said, and I don't think that the, the, the host of, of this podcast that I listened to, the host of Cat like, like, I don't think that he necessarily fully believes that, but he, he, he admits it's speculation. But the story itself of 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 Mitchell is very weird and interesting. And then, sure, that's a theory. Is basically what I have to say about that. That's 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 where I land when it comes to you know was this man possibly the Atlanta Ripper? Is sure that's a theory. That's a theory. It's something that could have happened. <laughs> it could have happened. Yeah, there is a non-zero possibility. Exactly. He does lay out some more evidence as well, but it would have been way too complicated to get into. And like, you know, like I'm trying to summarize two 40 to, to 50 minute podcast episodes in, in a shorter period of time. So I, I didn't necessarily do it as much justice as I could have. So if you're interested um, and if you're just interested in those two episodes, they kind of are a little bit more standalone. You don't necessarily have to listen to the whole podcast Um if you're just interested in those ones, they're uh, In the Hands of a Demon and The Mitchell Theory uh, from the Catlick podcast. So if you just want to listen to those two and get actual, like, you know, coherence with, you know, nice production values, not, not to say, Scott, you do a great job editing. <laughs> I'm not saying anything about Aww. that. I'm saying our sound quality is always a little bit like there's always something, you know, like we can't quite get the mic in the right spot ever. <laughs> So, so yeah, if you want to listen, and if you want to listen to it in a more narrative style rather than my uh, rambly storytelling style, uh, go and give that a listen. So, so, yeah, that's what I've got for tonight. You, you did a great job, Christy. I'm so impressed. Oh, oh, thank I you. Think... I was just, just summarizing. <laughs> I'm so modest. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna say I did okay. That's you as did... close as I can get to self praise. <laughs> you did great. You did great. Thank. Yeah. Thank Definitely. You guys. This was a this was a tough one because there wasn't a lot available, and oh, the research was so frustrating. Yeah, it was really really sad that there wasn't a lot available. Surely, surely. Yeah, because and, the, yeah, yeah, Go be, ahead. because of you know, and it's it really is. It's it's the racism. There, yeah, it wasn't recorded well at the time because well, it's just black people dying. That's that's honestly what it was. It's just black people. No reason to write this stuff down. And even if the reason that there's like not much on say Wikipedia or that like every article I read seemed to be parroting the other ones. Not every article I read, I want to say, but I, I, I did bypass a few oh. of them because I was like, this is exactly the same as the other articles I read. Um, but even even if if that the reasoning behind that isn't necessarily direct racism. As in, like, what we've talked about with the, you know, like, the, the murder of pretty blonde girls is, is just so much more interesting. It's definitely the indirect result of racism because it's the result of us not having the actual records from when this was happening. You know, and had been barely having anything with, with, with as far as records is concerned. So I think um, if, if it's not a direct result of racism, then I certain, certainly don't want to be accusing Wikipedia article, <laughs> article editors of racism. But if it's not that, it's because they... They, they maybe don't have enough direct sources that they can actually use, like primary sources that actually have worthwhile information like we struggle to get. Couldn't agree you can see more. The, 
Yeah, could you not see agree. the ripple effect of racism. Absolutely, absolutely, couldn't agree more. I'm not blaming Wikipedia. Far from it. They're they're they worked with what they had, which was very little. Ah, yep, incredibly little, incredibly little. Well, guys, any any plans for this week? <laughs> that's that's all I've got. I mean, what else is there, right? I uh, I made another new cross stitch pattern, and I'm gonna get started on that soon. And my my pretty lady in a dress, people people like on on Facebook. So I'm gonna make another pretty lady in a dress. Yeah, that's. I just I'm just gonna stay here. I'm just gonna yeah, stay I in mean, my home. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. We should have a Zoom call sometime this weekend with the gang, uh, and and Scott will let you know because uh, I don't know if it, it, I don't think you're in the text thread, and that's where the initial invite got out but well, no he's in it but he has to download the messages and he opts not to a lot yes oh, i do okay. yeah well, i'll still <laughs> i'll still send him a message and let him know if anything gets scheduled as far as you know any sort of group group hang on zoom um because that's been fun so all right um well everybody you know what i one positive thing i've been finding from all this is watching granted it's watching from a distance on facebook and the like but watching all of my creative friends go out and make things and do things they're playing music they're making paintings they're making videos of themselves making paintings and i i've been finding that absolutely inspiring so go seek out art it's what we've all take comfort in and uh, we're going to, if we haven't already, pretty shortly start actually releasing the old tiny crimeys on our main feed and not restrict them behind the Patreon wall. So uh, you guys can have a little bit more content and a little bit more something to distract you uh, in these days when we really, we don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. Uh, and so, so yeah, um, we hope that you, social media and all that, you guys know, Facebook, Twitter, Insta, old tiny crimey. Not going to flog the Patreon because I'm taking away probably one of the most popular benefits. <laughs> We're not taking away, but making it available for the, for the, the broader public. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, just go out. No, don't go out. Don't go out. I didn't say that. Stay in. Um, stay safe. Make art. Do things. Listen to podcasts. And, you know, uh, it's scary times, but let's find comfort where we can. So you're telling me to just keep doing what I've been doing. Don't stop, Scott. Don't stop. Never Bu stop. Business as usual in the apocalypse. Fantastic. Amber doesn't realize she's muted. <laughs> oh. I did not. I've been yelling. I've literally been yelling at, at the thing. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, thank you. Thank you very much for listening from my end. And have a great yes. week, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye. See ya. My sources this week are Vanessa Eccles, uh, the Fabled Collective podcast, Gregory Mixon and Clifford Kuhn from the New Georgia Encyclopedia, Georgia Mysteries, Steve Fennessy on Creative Loafing, uh, the Atlanta Constitution, JTRforums.com, Jeffrey Wells, I did not write down what website that is, <laughs> Sabrina Ithal on Ranker, Vance McLaughlin and Robert L. Bing III on homicideresearch.com and the Catlick podcast with BT Harmon. My sources for this week are not Wikipedia for the first time ever. The there was nothing on Wiki. Right. The Wikipedia article was amazingly bare. So I went to troytaylorbooks.blogspot.com 
casebook.org, and the ever-popular Murderpedia. You know what? Uh, you guys, I have a source from each of you. I've, I've got the, uh, the Fabled Collective that Chrissy mentioned, and then I have um, the blog spot that you mentioned. 